Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by John McDonough, Managing Director of RecRow Consulting, an employability and recruitment solutions consultancy and training company. John, hello. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. We might as well Thanks dive. Oh, thank you for coming. Uh, we might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? That's a question. So, for me, I think it's about belief and vision, passion, but also someone who cares as well. Um. I think within that, when you start to chunk that down, I think um, people who can deal in the business of reality, um, they'll actually acknowledge a problem um, rather than try and brush something under the carpet. And uh, people who will take personal accountability and responsibility. Um, and linked to that then comes empowerment. The, the, you know, they're, they're happy to empower um, the people around them and there's high elements of trust, honesty, and integrity. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? I think in, in, in short, certainly passionate, um, I've always been described as honest. Um, I think most people will always say that I've acted with integrity as well. Um, and then if you get into, I remember doing some psychometrics years ago and they'd said that I was a, I was a classic sales manager, but also I was high on caring, mm-hmm. which is an unusual combination. Um, and that's where, you know, the reason why I do something or we do something becomes very, very important because obviously, you know, motives and drivers are key for all of us. And if, if, if it's not there for me, I'm going to struggle. What motivates you? That's a question. Um, I think in terms of, um, you know, what I'm trying to do as a business, but also in, in life, if you like, is to help people get the life and career that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is around helping people to benefit from, you know, certainly experience and material and training that I benefited from many years ago, which was essentially high-end personal and professional development. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also there's a there's a recruitment wraparound um, in there as well, um, because you know no matter what level you're at, if you don't know how the game works, you're going to struggle. And, you, and you're going to have a harder time. And then I think if you go into, you know, you, you, you look at some of the history, if you like, I caught a, a, a program on TV last night about um, railways that have been lost or closed or whatever. And this was in Sunderland. So we talked about, you know, Sunderland had the first ever railway in the world um, and the industry and coal and, you know, what that did for the economy. And obviously, that's died off ultimately. And I think you know what 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 happens next for 
what's happening next for people, whether it's there or anywhere else. I've just been reading something this afternoon about um, inequality and, and, and social justice in, in North London. You know, trying to help organisations to change, trying to help them do better at what it is that they are doing. So there's usually going to be a public sector bent on that um, and trying to improve the, the lives of, of, of other people and help them get you know, what they need from the system, whether that's a business or a resident or service user or civil servant or partner, stakeholder, whatever else. Well, let's go back to the very beginning of your journey when you were first starting out in business. Was there any particular individual or set of circumstances that molded the way that you lead today? I think I've been fortunate to work for some really, really good leaders over the years. I've, I've worked in, you know, I've worked in startups, I've worked in SMEs, um, and I've worked in some big global companies as well. And I think I've seen how not to do it very clearly and how to do it as well. Uh, and I certainly remember one guy, um, this is not, not far from 20 years ago now, but he was, you know, he was fantastic in terms of walking the floor. He was very, very candid. He was very, he, he, he had you back. Um, and, you know, when you're in a big corporate environment, you need that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and was, you know, certainly got on very, very well with him. Um, and I think that then gives you confidence personally, professionally within an organisation, a complex organisation as that was at the time, um, but also that confidence to then go out into the market um, to be able to, you know, deliver in terms of what's required, but then have the confidence to maybe come back to base with a more challenging set of requirements that may not have been able to be pushed through the organisation previously. Well, it sounds like confidence is is incredibly important to leadership. Um, Yeah. How do you instill confidence in your workforce? So I think it it starts with spending a lot of time to get to know people. And certainly in terms of the, um, you know, the interview process, and we work with a number of associates as well. And, you know, some of the, the people that work with us are global experts. So on paper, they are way, way, way more qualified than I am on some of this. And yet it turns out that they've bought into me and they've bought into my vision and the vision of the organisation and that hits their buttons and, you know, meets their motives and drivers. Mm-hmm. But I think spending time up front to understand their motives and drivers, what makes them tick as a person, what it is that's going to give them confidence, um, what, you know, what, what, what helps them achieve what it is that they want to achieve. Um, it's the, you know, it's the what's in it for me question. And, you know, then, then, then enabling that, facilitating them and enabling that to, to do them and to, to be able to do that. And part of that then, so you've got, you know, you've got the leadership style, but then I think there's an element of, transactional management that comes into that as well mm-hmm. where pretty relaxed and pretty hands hands off on that and I think that then goes back to leadership um, because I don't see leadership and management as two, two um, mutually exclusive things mm-hmm. 
Um, and yeah, trust. Now, you know, back on trust somebody why they why they work with me. <laughs> it's as simple as that, really. In a slightly different vein, if I was to press you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Greatest leader, living or dead. It's a tricky one, I know. Yeah, because they've all got the foibles. Um, they've all got the foibles. Well, no leader think, can be perfect, can they? Yeah, true. I think if you look at... Um, I'm not sure I can give you the greatest leader, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's a, you know, there's an obvious one in terms of Churchill for what mm-hmm. he achieved, of course, um, in 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 wartime and, and Gandhi and Mandela, etc. Mm-hmm. I've just seen something um, on Twitter this morning. Actually, I'm not sure when it's. I'm not sure if it's recent or um, from several years ago with Barack Obama um, when he's gone out. He's been helping. I think it's a basketball team. To be fair, I wasn't quite sure what the context is. Um, I think if you look, you know, when I've talked about vision, for example, if you look um, at somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I've followed for many, many years from, you know, when I was a young kid and he was a, a bodybuilder, etc., and you track his vision, his leadership, um, his motivation, his mantras, if you like, around that in terms of how he achieved what he set out to do, well, why why he wanted to achieve what he set out to do initially, then what he did in terms of bodybuilding, then what he did in terms of acting, um, even if you want to describe that as loosely acting, um, he was certainly <laughs> still very, very, very successful. And then when he's gone into politics as well. Um, and if you look at some of the interventions that he makes now, you know, they're, they're, they're quite timely and they're quite important. And I was lucky enough to um, go to a, a black pie cinnamon speech type thing with him um, a, a couple of years ago in Leeds and it was one of these soft Q&As and when you listen to you know what he says and what he does and why it, it's it's very very aligned to a lot of what we see and do and why in, in terms of the business and in terms of the bigger things that we're trying to achieve and there's quite a nice clip that does the rounds on LinkedIn and various other social medias in terms of a five step plan for how to achieve how to achieve success why, why, why you want to do that um, so yeah he might be a slightly left field choice but he'd be up there mm-hmm. um, and then obviously you, you know you look to the field of sports um, some fantastic leaders um, in, in, in sports over the years as well I mean Roy King who again I appreciate he's not necessarily everybody's everybody's cup of tea but you know, he was very, very successful, especially in the early stint when he when he managed my team, Sunderland. When you look at what he did and why and how, it's fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And that's not to say he got everything right, but you know, he he set a set of standards. This is the bar. This isn't good enough. This is. This mm-hmm. is why. And we actually use um, I use a slide in the presentations that we do around the country, often the job centres, whether that's staff whether it's local authorities or whether it is um, other stakeholders, partners or unemployed students or whatever who we're working with. And I've got a picture of him when he was Sunderland's manager under the title Desire. And I talk about the team talk that he gave before a very important game that we were playing in the championship 
when we were trying to get into the playoffs, um, probably about, what, maybe 10, 11, 12 years ago now, I'm not quite sure, his team talk was he didn't speak. Um, but mm-hmm. what he did do was on a whiteboard, right at the top, who do you want to play next season, a line down the middle, and then the five worst teams in the championship on the left-hand side, and the five best teams in the premiership on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, it, it's uh, Carlos Edwards scores a wonder goal from about 30-odd yards out or whatever. We were getting beat. We needed to win that game. You know, that was the desire that he had to achieve that. I think Rio Ferdinand scored, was it Ferguson's last game or, or, or close to the last? That last game because he wanted to give back to the manager. I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson is another great example if you look at his management um, and, and his leadership as well. So, a lot of what I've done over the years is, is find out as much as I can about these people. And again, I've been fortunate to work with and be trained by some people who've worked with them or trained them as well. And of and course, there are so in. many examples that we could find out there to really highlight uh, the leadership. Uh, it, it, the list is literally endless. Um, Unfortunately, our time together has come to its close. John, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. I very much look forward to speaking with you again uh, in the future. Uh, John, thank you. That's great. Thanks, Matthew. That was John McDonough, Managing Director of Recro Consulting. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, just... yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky 
when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and of course a great manager in Sir Ralph Ramsey so to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career of course and, and then your life and that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time at, maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life 
they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could... Uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I. At that stage, I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, well, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be and I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. 
um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make me laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think, um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably 
Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think 
looking at that. So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful, because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and going back to an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. You- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question. You, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over it, go over the past, and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.